The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. So it's time for the Culture Club and we're joined by best-selling novelist Sinead Moriarty who is heading towards the one million books sold mark and might cross that line with her new novel Yours, Mine, Ours. Sinead, thank you very much for joining us. What's the latest novel about? Well, thank you very much for having me, Matt. It's lovely to be here. So Yours, Mine, Ours is about blended families. Blended Um, families? What do you mean by that? So it's about... Anna and James, who have formerly been married um, quite unhappily and meet, fall madly in love and then decide optimistically slash naively to blend their family. So they both bring children from former relationships into this new relationship. And I mean, this obviously I've lots of friends who are step parents, who had step parents. And this happens a lot. And I think the interesting angle that I wanted to really explore was as an adult, do you get to have this sort of love, second time around love in your life if your children are not un- are, are not happy. And is it that the children can mean that they don't relate to the step-parent or they might relate to the step-parent but actually don't get on with the adopted siblings? Well, exactly. And in fairness, children generally are not warm and fuzzy towards step-parents, certainly initially, because they either blame them for the breakup of their parents' marriage or they don't want somebody trying to be a new mum or dad to them. So it's just about... You know, you fall madly in love and this is amazing at the time in your life, but you're actually moving your children out of their former home into a new blended home with these random kids. And you think, oh, well, they're the same age. You're all going to get on really well. But if somebody moves somebody into your house who was the same age as you went, there you go, ta-da, here's your new family. It's not easy. And it's it, the book gives everybody's point of view because I wanted to see it from everybody's angle. So you have from James's angle, from Anna's angle and from the kids' angle as well. And then we also have their ex's new partners in the mix. So it's complicated. And there can also be situations whereby the children may not necessarily be of the same ages. So you might have teenagers pushed in with younger children or they could be going back to the other parents' house for a number of days and moving in and out. It's not all sort of the laughs of modern family, is it? No, it's not. And then you also have, um, you know, certainly Anna's ex-husband is very angry. So he is he's quite toxic with his children about the new relationship. And he's very negative about James. So you have all this, all these different sort of angles that people are coming at. And how does that actually work? And so the essence of the book is, can you as an adult be happy um, in a new blended family if your children are not settling? And also, just because you're falling in love with somebody doesn't mean you're going to love their kids. Um, particularly if they are um, not very nice to you. So it's just, it's a very kind of modern topic and I just wanted to explore it from from all the different angles. And well, there's, there's fun in there as well, but it's also, it's a serious subject. Yeah, well, the endorsement from Marion Keys on the cover is a hopeful book full of love. So that's so yours, you mine, ours. <laughs> now, Sinead Moriarty, let's get to your Culture Club choices. And we ask every guest to start by telling us the, the first single that they can remember ever purchasing, first piece of music. What's yours? Right. So this is actually a kind of a funny memory. So I went to France as a teenager and aha, had just become, had broken Europe. And Take On Me was everywhere in France, in every shop, in every, wherever we went, we heard it. And I thought this, they were the coolest thing. And obviously the lead singer was easy on the eye as well, let's be honest. Um, so I thought, wow, when I go home, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy this single. Um, so I go into Tower Records, delighted with myself. This is when you come back to Ireland. Yeah, so I'm probably an awkward 15 year old or whatever. So I go into Tower Records and I say to the two dudes behind the counter, um, you know, do you have Aha's new album, Take On Me? 
So they look at each other and they're like, you what? And I said, aha. And they go, aha, aha, <laughs> aha, love. We've never heard of them. Aha, aha. So, <laughs> so I was chased out of the shop, absolutely mortified. However, two months later, it was number one in Ireland. So, And I'd imagine it's a tune everyone knows. Yeah. Brian Lloyd, our movie editor, recently telling us about this documentary movie that's been made on AHA recently. They hate each other. Oh, do they? they oh, God, but I they have to still, watch that. They still actually play music together, but absolutely hate each other. Let's move on to your favourite band. And you've gone for you 2 Why is that? I know. Look, I think um, anybody, any teenager, uh, certainly any female teenager in the 1980s Dublin was obsessed with U2 because... They made Ireland cool for the first time. We were not cool by any stretch of the imagination, but they made us cool. And I just thought they were amazing. And I kind of felt so proud that they were Irish, you know. And um, my favourite album actually is Under a Blood Red Sky, which is one of their early albums because it's very raw, but it has all these absolute anthems in it, you know. And I just think that... That was what they were best at. Um, Obviously, they've evolved and they've changed and they're still fantastic. But I loved the kind of original anthems like, you know, I Will Follow, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, those kind of ones, Pride. Like they just, they were really kind of iconic. Um, And yeah, I just, I adored them. And I was completely obsessed with um, Larry Mullum, the drummer. I mean, to the point of almost stalking. Sort of like the lead singer of Aha Easy on the Eye, is it? Oh yeah, but Larry was like cool and edgy and he was Irish. I mean, you know, I had this mad notion, this girl in my class found out that he went to the same dentist as her. So we had this mad notion that we were going to like just, you know, happen to be in the dentist reception at the same time. And obviously... Teenage stalking at the dentist. Teenage stalking. And obviously, you know, in in my school uniform, with my train tracks, I was, of course, he was going to fall madly in love and we were going to go and live the high life in L.A. You know, so the imagination that, that goes into your books clearly mm. was there at an early stage. Well, that was more delusional, Matt, I think, to be honest <laughs> with you. I don't think that was imagination. It was complete and utter delusion. Let's hear a little bit from the live album Under a Blood Red Sky and the track we've taken is New Year's Day. Yes! 
Okay, from 1983. There's a lot of people, Shane, I think, will really still, you mentioned with the anthems mm. that you two have, that they've aged very well and that they remain, to some people, the best of you two's music. Did you continue liking their music as they went through the generations? I did. I haven't loved all their albums, but I, I, mean, I still am a huge fan. And I think, you know, you have to, as a band, you have to evolve, you have to change, you have to try new things. And they are phenomenal. And the fact that they stayed there still together, they still seem to like each other. I mean, that in itself, to have that kind of longevity in a rock band is so rare. Um, and I just think, I think they're fantastic, you know. I don't really understand why Bono gets such a hard time. You know, he could be sitting at home snorting his money up his nose, but he actually, you know, he actually tries to go out and do things. And I just think... I think As an people, activist. People are very hard on him. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think his activism... His activ- activism, you know, is coming from the best possible place. I don't know why he gets such a hard time. Okay, well, you haven't nominated them as the best gig you were ever at, though. You've gone for something entirely different. Yeah. You've gone for Kylie Minogue. Well, there are two, actually. Um, do you remember WorkAid? Do you remember that concert? Was it called WorkAid? Um <laughs> This was the one that was done yeah. in 1986. Yeah. Self-Aid. 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 Sorry, that was brilliant. I only thought about that the other day. But Kylie Minogue, yes. Yeah. So I went to Kylie Minogue and I dragged my poor husband along who really did not want to go. He was mortified because everyone there was about four foot nothing with, with you know, those bobbly things on their ears, on their heads, the sh- sparkly bobbles. But actually, she was brilliant. When was this? When did you see oh, her? Oh God, like we're talking... I'd say 15 years ago. Okay, and was it here in Dublin? Here in Dublin, yeah. But she was absolutely amazing. Her voice was amazing. The show, like she knows how to put on a show. She's a total showgirl. And she sang a couple of songs a cappella, which were amazing, including Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which actually give you shivers up your back. And it was, I suppose, very surprisingly fantastic. And even my reluctant husband really enjoyed it. It was really, really good. I just was really blown away by her because I've been to like kind of big performer concerts like, say, Madonna and Rihanna and actually been quite disappointed. Did you see Madonna at Lansdowne Road a few years ago? It was dreadful. I saw her in London and the sound was really pitchy, I have to say. It wasn't good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I really admire Kylie, yes. Well, what we have is from a more recent tour. This is from the 2018 Golden Tour. Not necessarily the track I would have picked out, but we've been given locomotion. Kylie Minogue performing Locomotion. There's one other artist clip that I want to get to. And you mentioned about Bono and his philanthropy and his activism. But you've also picked out Dolly Parton as someone you love for a whole variety of reasons. 
Yeah, again, I mean, what I love about Dolly Parton is that she has managed to have this incredibly successful career and yet managed to keep her private life very private. And she's given so much back to the, where she's from in the States. And, you know, she gives out free books to kids, which obviously is a woman after my own heart. Um, I think she is incredibly smart. Um, and I love the, love how she, ma- how she manages her fame and her celebrity, um, uses it for good. As I say, has an amazing ability to keep a private life private. And, you know, she does the whole ditzy blonde thing, but God, she has she's a, very a smart. sharp, sharp brain. And she's absolutely brilliant, you know, writing all her songs, owning her own music. She is a phenomenon. Her longevity is extraordinary as well. Because there might have been a period where she was perhaps dissed a little bit and mm. now has come back where it's stronger than ever. Yeah, and that's, I think, the sign of a true, true star. Uh, I've also seen Dolly twice live and Dolly brings it. She's absolutely brilliant. You know, you get the show. She has the voice of an angel. She is just phenomenal. Yeah. Let's hear a little bit from her 1977 album, Aww. Here You Come Again. Here's That's the title track. Song. right in the door just like you've done before and wrap my heart round your little Maybe I'm getting old. I like that more now than I've ever liked it in the past. It's, it's just such a brilliant song. Like, you can't not sing along. You can't not tap along. She's just brilliant. Before we get to books, let's talk about movies. And you have nominated a couple of older movies. You've gone for, one of, well, not the original The Way We Were, but I think the 1970s version. The Barbara Streisand, Robert Redford. Yeah, yeah. It was hard to choose uh, my favourite movie because I also adored All the President's Men. But I've gone with The Way We Were because... Um, I just think it has so much more to it than people originally think. You know, it's, it's sort of Barbara Streisand and Robert Redford. You think, okay, she's the, you know, the girl who comes from nothing. He's the waspy boy who comes from everything and they fall in love. But it doesn't work out. But there's a lot more to it. Um, you know, she is an activist. She's a member of the Communist Party. And then you have the Senator McCarthy hearings, which they, are, they end up living in Hollywood because he's a screenwriter. And then you see all of their friends and how badly they're treated and people you know, snitching on people and how awful and frightening that was in that time was in America, particularly for people who worked in um, in Hollywood. You know, so many people were blacklisted and lost their livelihood. So that that also comes underneath. And it's also just it's the most beautiful love story because you want so much for them to work, but you just know that they can't. They're just not meant to be. Let's hear a clip from the way we were. It's me. Hubble. Um... Wait a minute, hold on a minute. 
Don't go away. Listen, Hubble. Um, this is kind of peculiar. Um, I know that I don't have to apologize for what I said because I know that you know. And, um, well, I also know that you, I mean, you, you know that I don't feel exactly bright-eyed and, and bushy-tailed, as J.J. would say. Uh, anyway, the peculiar thing is, I, uh, it's really a request, you know, a, a favor. Uh, see, I can't sleep, Hubble. And it would help me so much if, if you could, uh, well, if I had someone to talk to. You know, if I had a, I had a best friend or something to talk about it with. Only you're my best friend. Isn't that dumb? So dumb. You're the best friend I ever had. Barbara Streisand as Katie in The Way We Were from 1973. You also wanted to give honourable mention to a Betty Davis movie. Yeah, a huge fan of Betty Davis. Again, another, like, you know, strong broad from the back in the day. Uh, I love her movies. And The Old Maid is one of her lesser known films. Um, she lives with her sister and she, unbeknownst to the, her daughter, she had her daughter sort of um, out of wedlock and her sister raises the daughter but the daughter never knows that Betty Davis is her mother she just thinks she's this grumpy aunt and she doesn't like her and she's always trying to get away from her um, and it's just really really sad because she adores her but she she's never she never is ever going to be able to acknowledge the fact that she's her mother it's just it's beautiful it's really really sad and it's really really well acted Okay If I ever play our musical or theatre show what have you gone for? Well I've gone for our own uh, Pat Kinavan because Pat Kinavan is Phenomenal, and if you if you haven't seen his Olivier Award winning Silent, um, I highly recommend you go. It's one of those plays. It's a one man show. He he writes it, he performs it. When it's over, you're sort of sitting there with your jaw on the floor. That kind of incredibly affecting theatre, which is so powerful, you know. And it's just him on the stage. There's there's very little staging, and he is phenomenal. It's a, it's a it's a story of a homeless man. Um, he once had splendid things, but he's lost it all, including his mind. And the way Pat van acts, I don't know how he does it every night. I mean, he just gives everything. And, you know, powerful theatre is so brilliant and so it really, really gets you and stays with you. And this is um, this has stayed with me long after I saw it and it deservedly won the Olivier Award. So, um, yeah, phenomenal. OK, let's move to books. And I mean, imagine as an author, you have so many favourite yeah. authors and books. When we asked you to pitch or plump for one, yeah. you've gone for Pat McCabe. I have, I know. Um, like, there's so many people I could have chosen, um, you know, Anne Tyler, lo- loads of people that I, I love. But I, I kind of chose one of our own again because Pat McCabe, when I read The Dead School, I read The Dead School before I read The Butcher Boy, which he's better known for. It just, I couldn't believe what he did with words. And what Pat McCabe is a genius at is you're laughing, but God, it's so dark, you know, and it's so biting and it's so kind of vicious. But you are still engaged and entertained and kind of amused. And it's this, it's this kind of incredible gift that he has to like use the darkest of blackest story and humour and create these stories that you can't put down and I just think that is such a talent I mean he is I think he is possibly not lauded as much as he should be 
I think he's a genius with words. We have some of the narration ver- narrated version, the audiobook of the Butcher Boy, and this is narrated by Patrick McCabe himself. I met Joe coming across the diamond and he says to me, Watch out, Francie, we're in the wars with Nugent. She called at our house and she'll be round to you. Sure enough, I was lying on the bed upstairs and the knock comes to the front door. I could hear Ma humming and the shuffle of her slippers on the lino. Ah, hello, Mrs Nugent, come in. But Nugent was in no humour for ah, hello, come in or any of that. She lay into Ma about the comics and the whole lot, and I could hear Ma saying, Yes, yes, I know, I will, of course. And I was waiting for her to come flying up the stairs, get me by the ear and throw me on the step in front of Nugent, and that's what she would have done if Nugent hadn't started on about the pigs. She said she knew the kind of us long before she went to England, and she might have known not to let her son anywhere near the likes of me. What else would you expect from a house where the father's never in? Lying about the pubs from morning to night, he's no better than a pig. After that, Ma took my part, and the last thing I heard was Nugent going down the lane and calling back, Pigs! Sure, the whole town knows that. Patrick McCabe and the Butcher Boy, which is a terrific novel. And God, he doesn't even narrate it so well. Only he, only he could do it, I think. OK, television. Right. So, tell us. We, are, we break television into two. We ask everybody what they sort of grew up with and what they loved, and then we get to what they like at present. And you've gone for one that comes up time and time again Does here really? on The Culture Yeah. Group. I mean, Dallas, because it was, for, it was the forbidden fruit. We weren't allowed to watch it, but when my parents went out on Saturday night, our babysitter used to let us watch it. And just to sit there and see these people in jacuzzis having affairs with their with their best friends' husbands, I just could it blew my mind. I mean, the clothes, the shoulder pads, the jewellery, the shenanigans, and like, there was no loyalty. And you know, this was whatever you know, nineteen eighties Ireland, you know, where we were still under the thumb of the Catholic Church. And this was, I mean, another universe. I just couldn't get enough of it. It was brilliant. We. They have so many clips we've been running. This is a different one. This is where uh, JR uh, gets the upper hand on his rival, Cliff Barnes. Now, oh, Cliff, how does this strike you? Because of my high regard for your lovely mother, I'm going to up the price of my offer. I mean, there's no reason that she should have to pay for your mistakes, huh? Four million dollars. Take it or leave it. And that will allow you to pay back the money you embezzled from Wentworth Tool and Die. Yeah, I know about that. I also know about the $500,000 that you still owe the company. And you don't have a penny to your name. But you know the old saying, poverty builds character. Save the talk. Yeah, that's right, Cliff. You don't need any more talk. You need some money. Well, I have here a cashier's check for $4 million and no cents, which is yours. When you sign this little old deed... Thank you. Well, how's it feel, Cliff? A couple of days ago, you owned my oil field. You're going to marry my wife. You're expecting a big gusher. Oh, yeah, millionaire time. That's what it was. And now, you're over your head in debt. The only property you own is a dry hole north of Lubbock. You have succeeded in becoming the perfect failure. 
just strikes me there. There's not a million miles away from what I love at the moment. Succession. Succession, yeah. <laughs> but the di- actually, the dialogue was really good, wasn't it? The writing was good. I mean, he was he was a really nasty piece of work. I always felt sorry for Cliff. He just never really got got one over. Of course, you're now following in the footsteps of Kirsten, who uh, Mary Crosby, who actually did a culture club for us here a <laughs> few she? years ago. On the ah, last word, brilliant! Yes. What did she choose out of interest? Oh, I'm trying to remember. remember. It was she was here at the time, but she was promoting her father, who was Bing Crosby, That's of course, right, his of course, Christmas yeah. albums and the yeah. rest of it. So I, I can't remember what but, it was. That but she doesn't picked. it show the success of the show that we actually all watched Bobby die? And then he came back in the shower and we all still watched it. I mean, that just shows you how successful it was. And we actually went, OK, fair I, I enough. I think there was a touch of jump in the shark with that little bit. What about modern television? What do you watch? Um, call My Agent. I just... Sorry, the original French version. You know, the French a, version. There's an English language version now I heard. On, uh, called 10%. Yeah, I heard. I, I don't love... I, I always kind of like the originals. I don't particularly necessarily it's love It's bizarre remakes. to watch because it's almost word for word it? recreated and you're going, no, the fir- the original French version is just so good. But it's just so French. Like it's just, it's so quirky and wacky and so French and just so brilliant. Um, and uh, I lived in Paris for, for a few years and it just, it really reminds me of what it was like living there and working there. Um, um, and just the, the carry on and the way people are so direct and just it's very funny and it actually almost feels like a fly in the wall documentary. The acting is so good. It doesn't you don't feel like they're acting. I mean, I just think it's brilliant. Really, really clever again, really sharp writing. And then obviously the guests are so good. The guests are so good. And also just what it visually gives you of Paris yes. is wonderful oh as well. God, yeah. OK, this is a new question we put in to finish off the Culture Club each week what we're calling a sort of a cultural buried treasure, something that you'd recommend to anyone that perhaps has been overlooked. Yeah. So um, funny enough, I actually recommended this to somebody quite recently. Um, There's a book called The Country Woman by Paul Smith. It was first published in 1961 um, and it was banned when it first came out. Why? Because it's not uh, favourable to the Catholic Church um, and how they treated this poor, unfortunate woman who was married to a vicious alcoholic. I suppose it, you could say, I don't even like using it in the same sentence, but you could say it's like the original Angela's Ashes, but it, it it's in a different, in my opinion, it's in a different league to Angela's Ashes. Um, it's set just sort of in the 1920s and this poor woman has a load of kids and an alcoholic husband and she's on the breadline and it's the most devastating. It, it's absolutely devastating, but it's so brilliant. Um, I couldn't recommend it more highly. And, you know, I don't know why it didn't get the attention it should have got at the time. And I would love to see it resurrected. It would make a magnificent film, actually. I've never heard of it, actually. I know, but you see, this is the thing, Matt, and so many people haven't. And I've only heard about it because my mum gave it to me years ago. She'd read it and adored it. And she, um, she'd she actually wrote to Paul and he wrote back to her and she has his letter in it, it's, which is a beautiful letter. And she gave it to me. She said, this is a real gem. It's a kind of a, a hidden gem. And I just, I couldn't put it down. And I just, I really want more people to know about it because it's absolutely brilliant. Your mother was a writer as well. Yeah, she? she wrote ch- books for children, nonfiction on sort of Irish historical figures like Yeats and Joyce and stuff. So for sort of, say, maybe 12 to 14 year olds, she wrote a series of books. Um, so she was always great at recommending books for to me. So does that mean you grew up in a house full of books? Falling down with books. You know, it's funny, I have this debate all the time with people, I'm, I'm since my children got phones, they've fallen off a cliff a bit with writing. But like when I grew up, like it was not an option. Like you were going to be a voracious reader or you're going to have to live somewhere else because that was just the way we lived. You, you could barely get in the front door for the books. And I think that's such a brilliant And are you still gift. like that? 
Yeah, well, I read I read a huge amount. Yeah, and I mean, I do the book club for Eason, so I read a huge amount for them as well as reading for pleasure. So um, I just love reading. Yeah, I mean, it's so. How many books did you get through a week? Um, when I'm when I'm coming up to the long list for Eason's, maybe three or four. Um, if I'm relaxing, maybe two or three. Yeah, relaxing two or three books. No, a but, week. wow! But it's the only time your mind time. switches off. You know, it's but you can. But it's amazing. Like I read when I'm waiting for the dinner to cook. I read when I'm sitting in the truck. Probably shouldn't say sitting in traffic. I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> but somebody no, else I don't, is driving. I don't. We're just sitting in the <laughs> but traffic. somebody else is driving. driving. Yeah. yeah you can actually, it's amazing how much you can fit in. And I often, I often. And then you write. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. And you get about a novel a year out, don't you? About, yeah. And I've started writing children's books now as well. So I'm writing those as well. Yeah. That's well, great. Shalette. I don't want to do anything else. Fair enough. Sinead Moriarty, thank you very much for taking the time to join us here on the Culture Club on The Last Word at Today FM. <laughs> The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.